Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. Please open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. Now, I was scheduled to teach last Sunday, which was Veterans Day, um, and I had a, a message. This message was already prepared. I had to put kind of the finishing touches on it this week. But it was a message that um, is really dedicated to our veterans, uh, all past, present, and future, um, because for me... They've inspired me to keep fighting, to keep fighting the good fight. And we're going to see today in this portion of Scripture that we are in a battle as Christians. We're in a battle. Many of us might remember the song from the 80s by Pat Benatar, Love is a Battlefield. Anyone remember that one? How many would agree that life is a battlefield sometimes, right? Life is a battlefield. So we need to know what the Lord has to say about this battle. I'm going to read through verses 11 through 20, and then we're going to go back and we're going to unpack it to see what God has for us. So Ephesians 6, verse 11, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with the truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench the fiery darts of the wicked one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication, For all the saints, and for me, that utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Warren Rearsby writes, on his comment, in his commentary on the book of Ephesians, sooner or later every believer discovers that. The Christian life is a battlefield, not a playground. And that he faces an enemy who is much stronger than he is, apart from the Lord. 2,500 years ago, a military strategist in China, Sun Tzu, wrote a classic book of military strategy and military warfare. 
And since that time, all levels of military have used much of the teachings of Sun Tzu in warfare, but also civilizations have adapted a lot of these teachings for use in politics, in business, and in everyday life. One of the most famous quotes from that book, he writes, If you know the enemy and know yourself, you need not fear the result of a hundred battles. If you know yourself but not the enemy, for every victory gained, you will also suffer a defeat. If you know neither the enemy nor yourself, you will succumb in every battle. As Christians, we have an enemy, someone whose sole purpose is to take us down and make us ineffective for the kingdom of God. He knows our weaknesses, and he'll use every scheme at his disposal to draw us away from God. But the Bible doesn't leave us in the dark about this adversary. The Bible describes him very well and warns us about his tactics. But don't you notice how we can become so engrossed in this life, so distracted by the things of this world, that we sometimes forget that we're in a battle for our souls and our minds. Paul writes in 2 Timothy 2.4, No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. So if you're engaged in battle, if you're engaged in warfare, if you're focused then you're not going to get entangled by other things. You're not going to get distracted by other things. That quote from Sun Tzu's book, Art of War, gives us good advice when we're engaged in battle. We need to know our enemy, and we need to know ourselves. Knowing our enemy will ensure that we don't underestimate him. And knowing ourselves will help us realize that we can't possibly fight him alone. How many times have we understood our own frailty and inability to go to battle against Satan only to unconsciously give him a foothold in our lives, not realizing that he's looking for the smallest opening to come in and to destroy us? Peter writes in 1 Peter 5.8, Be sober, be vigilant, Because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Paul is telling us to be alert, to be clear-headed. Don't get intoxicated by the world and leave yourself vulnerable to the attack of the enemy. How many times have we correctly identified his schemes to take us down, but then tried to fight against him on our own? thinking we're strong enough to overtake him. Thankfully, the Bible helps us navigate the minefields of this life and not get taken down. But what if you're here today and you're not a Christian? What if you've never given yourself to Jesus? What if you don't know anything about this adversary? Are you still in a battle? Are you still engaged in warfare? 
Does Satan still attack you? Well, the short answer is yes. The only difference is that you're going up against him totally in your own strength. You don't have the resources of all of heaven on your side. And for me, that's a scary thought. That's a scary thought. So there's something here for everyone today in these scriptures, believer or non-believer. So we're going to jump in in verses 11 and 12 of Ephesians chapter 6. Paul writes, Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. So in verse 11, Paul sort of puts the end of the story at the beginning. For our purposes, just take note that the Lord gives us a remedy to the schemes and the plans of the devil. But he goes on to identify the enemy. First, what it isn't. It isn't flesh and blood. Although we may war against other people in this life, they're not our true enemy. What it is, is spiritual. It's spiritual. And the leader of the spiritual force against all of humanity is Satan. He's a spiritual being who led a heavenly revolt against God. And he was cast down to the earth. The personal name of Satan means adversary. It reveals his nature. He's the enemy of God. He's the enemy of all that God does. He's the enemy of all that God loves. And he's especially the enemy of God's people. He's called the devil in the New Testament. The word devil means false accuser or slanderer. You know, how hurt are we when someone falsely accuses us or slanders us? But this is one of his most, uh, one of the schemes that he, he does most often. He slanders us. One of his most successful attributes is to accuse us. He attacks our character. He makes us doubt our relationship with the Lord. He makes us doubt that we're even worthy to have a relationship with God, that we're worthy of God's love. Other titles of Satan or characteristics of him, he's the tempter, he's the wicked one, he's the accuser of the brethren. And he also has titles that point to his authority in this world. He's the ruler of the world, the Bible says. He's the God of this age. He's the prince of the power of the air. Now notice in some of those descriptions, some of them are specific to Christians, like the accuser of the brethren. But some of them are for the whole human race, for anybody. He's the ruler of this world. If you think this world is ugly and full of violence and full of sin, you're right, because Satan is the ruler of this world. 
You see, when Adam and Eve sinned, they gave up the title deed to this earth. They gave it up to the one who lied and deceived them. And ever since, Satan has had dominion in this world. That's why we should not become too attached to this world. It's governed by the enemy. But remember, Satan has limitations. He is not equal with God. He is not the opposite of God. He's a created being. There are many things that he cannot do. One of them is that he can't be in more than one place at a time. He's limited in that way. But that's why in his employment are many helpers. Paul refers to these helpers in verse 12, principalities, powers, rulers of the darkness of this age, spiritual hosts of wickedness. These are the, those beings that followed Satan in his rebellion against God. And they were cast down along with him to this earth. Those terms refer to their ability to rule and exercise authority over people. And over the course of human history, we can probably name many people who we feel have totally fallen for the lies and the deception of Satan and his emissaries. Some of them are historical in what they've done. These people were totally submissive to Satan and taken in by his lies. And Satan is very good at deploying his demons where he knows there's a chance of victory. Very good. When we think about this in the context of war, we'll see, we see that the enemy has an army of demons set against us to destroy us. We never want to forget that All around us, at any time, in the heavenly realm, there is a battle for the soul of every human being who ever lived or ever will live. But because it's an invisible battle, because it's in the spiritual realm, we can easily forget that it's happening. And for Satan, he's perfectly fine with that. C.S. Lewis writes in his book, The Screwtape Letters, that we can underestimate our enemy. He writes that there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve their existence. Now, you can probably go down the street and ask many people, and a good majority will deny the existence of the devil, deny the existence of Satan. They can't explain the evil that's going on in this world. And many times they may even blame God, but they will deny the existence of Satan. Now, the other error that humankind may fall into is to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them, C.S. Lewis goes on to write. In other words, obsession that there's a demon of everything. And there are even some ministries that fall into that category. C.S. Lewis goes on to write, 
they themselves, the devils, are equally pleased by both errors. doesn't matter to them. Whether you deny their existence or are unhealthily obsessed with them, they're okay with either one because they can take you down. The whole point here is that we are wasting our time fighting against other people when the real enemy is Satan who wants to influence people in order to turn them against God. And because his weapons are powerful, we need more powerful weapons to fight against him. Well, thank God the Bible tells us about that. Or else we'd be doing this on our own. So you have the lay of the land here about our enemy, what he seeks to do. But we also have God's remedy to that. Verse 13, Paul goes on and says, Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand. Paul tells us that in order to go to battle against Satan, we must do something. Christianity is not for pacifists. We must be willing to take up our armor and commit ourselves to the cause of Christ. Remember, this this battle is for the heart and soul of real people. Real people. People you may know. People you, like I, were at one point in our lives. That battle is about the heart and soul of real people. And God desires that all should be saved. That's why this battle is still being fought. So we're going to look at this armor that Paul talks about. And the first piece of armor is the belt. He goes on in verse 14, and he says, Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth. This belt not only holds the soldier's weapons, but allows him to tuck his outer garment in and be completely prepared for battle. The Bible tells us that Satan is a liar. Jesus makes that abundantly clear when he rebukes the religious leaders who wanted to kill him. In John 8, Jesus tells them, you are of your father the devil. And the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning. And he does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources. For he is a liar and the father of it. He is a liar. So what do we do to battle against that? We need to gird ourselves with the waist of truth, with the belt of truth. What does it mean to gird our waist? That gird is where we get our word girdle from. It means to encircle or to secure. We need to be surrounded with the truth. It's the only weapon that can go up against the lies of the enemy. We battle against lies with the truth. The Bible is the truth. And Jesus is the truth. He says in John 14 of himself, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And then speaking of the entirety of the scriptures, the psalmist writes, 
In Psalm 119, verse 160, the entirety of your word is truth. And every one of your righteous judgments endures forever. When we see, when we sense the enemy's lies against us, we battle against that with the truth. The next piece of armor is the breastplate. He goes on and says, we put on the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate, one of the most important pieces in the soldier's armor. It protects all the vital organs, such as the heart and the lungs. Without it, he would be exposed to an attack that could prove deadly. But in the spiritual battle we face every day, our protection is our righteousness, which is in Jesus Christ. We need to protect our hearts from going astray, from doubting that we have the righteousness of Christ. When we put our trust in Jesus for salvation, we are given his perfect righteousness, the Bible says. It says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, For he made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That's that great exchange that God does. Jesus took our sin and gave us his righteousness. We need to remember that. We need to guard our hearts with the truth that we are righteous in Jesus Christ because he was righteous. We can't go against Satan in our own righteousness because even on our best day, we still sin, don't we? Even in our, on our best day. But as we're obedient more and more to God, we become more and more like Jesus. Therefore, we demonstrate his righteousness that's working in our lives, that sanctification process of the Holy Spirit making us more righteous every day. That's got to be the goal each day when we get up. When we do that, we can better resist the temptation that Satan throws at us every single day. Moving down, the next piece of armor we see that Paul describes here are the shoes. Notice the cleats on the bottom of those Roman shoes. Ephesians 6.15 says, And having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Not only does this piece of armor help us stand firm. Notice those cleats. They help you stand firm in the face of the world's attacks. But they also help us walk through this life. Spreading the good news of salvation. When we put on the shoes of the gospel, we can fulfill fulfill the duty of every single Christian. That is to tell everybody how to have peace with God. Which will also bring with it the peace of God. See, we need to have the peace. We need to have peace with God first. We need to be, we're we're at at enmity with God, the Bible, Bible says. The Bible actually says that we're We're enemies of God until we come to Jesus Christ. We need to have a peace agreement with God. And then we can experience the peace of God. That peace which passes 
all understanding, the Bible says. That no matter what we're going through, we can do it with peace. Because we have, we have been given a right relationship with Jesus Christ. How many people are looking for peace in this world and we look around us and all we see are people fighting one another? Whether it's on the battlefield or in the halls of Congress, this whole world is fighting one another. And what does the Bible say? The gospel is the gospel of peace. Because you can have the peace of God when you make peace with God. And then we move on to that next piece of armor, which is the shield. Above all, Paul writes, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. This is a large shield. If you notice, they touch or overlap from side to side. Large enough to cover the shoulder all the way, the, so, the soldier all the way from his neck down to his feet. This, this piece of armor protects us from the constant attacks of the enemy. Do you feel sometimes that you're under constant attack of the enemy? He'll shoot those fiery arrows of doubt, of disbelief, lies about God, lies about others. That's what he uses to come against us. But I love this picture of the shield of faith and the fact that we're, we're not fighting this battle alone. Of course we have God with us, but we have other believers who can lift us up, who can join with us in prayer to repel the attack of the enemy. In prayer and in fellowship, we see the strength of the body of Christ to go against Satan. Biblical faith, this is the shield of faith. Biblical faith is trust in God. And it's a gift from God. But a lot of people put their faith just in faith. Our faith needs to be in something bigger than ourselves. See, it's not how much faith we have, but it's what, or more correctly, who we put our faith in that matters. Our faith needs to be in God and in Him alone, resting in His promises and believing that He always has what's best for us. Bible says, for we walk by faith, not by sight. You know, we may look around us and we may see the battle and we may have people that are coming against us, but we walk this walk of faith, putting our trust in Jesus for our lives. We move on to the next piece of armor Ephesians 6.17 says, And take the helmet of salvation. The helmet was the last piece of defensive armor that the soldier would put on. It protected his head, which included the brain, from all sorts of injuries. If the brain were badly 
damaged, the rest of the armor would be of no use. The mind is where Satan loves to attack us, doesn't he? It's where sin originates. And when we allow it to grow, it can lead to spiritual death. James 1, 14 and 15 speaks about this. He says, but each one, each one of us is tempted when he is drawn away. Drawn away from what? Drawn away from God by his own desires and enticed. You know, God knows what's best for us. Why are we drawn away from what God wants for our lives and drawn towards something that will not satisfy? But we are. And then he goes on, James goes on and says, then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. So it's subtle. Something in your mind to take you away, to draw you away from what God wants for you. Just like he did in the garden. Think, making Adam and Eve feel like God was holding back from them. The enemy will do the same. Draw us away. Draw us away from God by our own selfish desires, enticing us to go down that road. And then that's all it takes, that little foothold. And then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and then sin brings forth death. Don't allow that little foothold. Keep your helmet in place. Allow God to influence your minds. Cultivate your thoughts with godly things, not the things of this world. Paul writes about this in Romans chapter 12. He says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by what? The renewing of your mind. The renewing of your mind. Our minds need to be renewed and then need to be protected. And then need to be protected. And God doesn't expect us to check our minds at the church doors. The Bible says, let us reason together. God wants to reason with us. He wants us to use our intellect and our reason. As long as it's aligned with him. That's what's called godly wisdom. And he imparts that to us through the scriptures that we can know God's mind. And then as we said before, we're lo- everyone's looking for peace in this world that's full of turmoil. But what does Isaiah say? It says, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. Are you considering God when you're looking for peace in this world? You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you, on God. Because he trusts in God. And now we move forward to the only offensive weapon in the whole arsenal. And that is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The Roman soldier had this sword. It was probably a short sword. 
meant for close contact, close combat. But our spiritual armor is meant for spiritual battle. And this sword is described as the word of God. The word of God. The Bible. Why is it considered a sword? Well, have you ever listened to a message? Have you ever read some scriptures and felt kind of cut to the heart? Has that ever happened to any of you? I know it has with me. That I feel like God's speaking directly to me in that message or in that scripture that I'm reading. And I feel cut. God's word is a sword. Hebrews 4.12 tells us, For the word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. That's what the word of God can do to each and every person. It will pierce our hearts sometimes in order to convict us. And it can also detect our motives. The word of God can detect or reveal our motives. And even when we're doing something that seems outwardly as good, the word can reveal where our heart really is in that. And that's a little bit scary because we like to put on a good show. We, thought, we like to make people think that we're, uh, you know, we're very gracious and that we're, uh, you know, we're charitable. And even when we do good things, the word of God can reveal what's going on really in our hearts. Where, what are your motives for that? Is it just to get recognition for yourself? Or is it truly to honor me and to benefit others? Well, that's why God's word is like a sword. Because sometimes it reveals the ugliness, cuts through all of the pretense in our lives and reveals who we really are. But how can the word be that sword? How can it be that offensive weapon against the attack of the enemy? How can we use it in order to go against his strategy to take us down. Well, we're going to look at a passage here in Matthew 4, a very, probably a very well-known passage of Jesus' temptation in the wilderness. And it says, Then Jesus was led up in verse 1, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterward he was hungry. Now when the tempter came to him and he said, If you are the Son of God, and just to clarify that word if, really in the Greek the meaning is since, because the enemy knew he was the Son of God. If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become bread. Forty days and forty nights now fasting. You and I would 
take him up on that offer, I'm pretty sure. But he answered, Jesus answered and said to him, It is written, men shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. First attack. First remedy, Scripture. Jesus used a quote from the Old Testament to go back at Satan's attack. Then the devil, in verse 5, took him up to the holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against the stone. Now, another one of Satan's tactics, he twists Scripture. See, Satan knows Scripture. And he took this quote and he kind of twisted it to try to tempt Jesus into sinning. But Jesus said to him, it is written again, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Again, the remedy for the attack is the truth of the word of God, the sword of the Spirit. Verse 8, again, the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give you. Remember, he's the God of this world. Adam and Eve gave up the title deed to this earth, to, to the enemy. He had every right to say, all these things I can give to you. He tempted Jesus with that. If you will fall down and worship me, fall down and worship me. You know, there's some people that are Satan worshipers in this world. They, they took him up on this offer. They thought they were going to get everything in this world. And Jesus said to him in verse 10, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and, only, and him only you shall serve. And him only you shall serve. Again, the remedy for Satan's attack is the word of truth. Again, Jesus quotes another scripture from the Old Testament. And then what happened in verse 11? What happened? The devil left him. And behold, the angels came and ministered to him. What an awesome thing. What an awesome thing, guys. We are not alone in this battle. Never. Jesus responded to all three of the devil's temptations the same way with Scripture. That's why this weapon, this sword of the Spirit, the Word of God is the most important weapon in our arsenal as believers. It will defuse the attempts of Satan who wants to render us ineffective, ineffective for the kingdom. Be in your word daily. Know it. Live it in order to combat the daily attacks. So we see now this whole armor of God that Paul writes about. We see, we see the equipment that God gives us to go against the enemy. But how do we give that power? How do we give it the energy 
to put it into action. Well, these next three verses tell us, Ephesians 6, 18 through 20, praying always, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to the end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. And for me, Paul writes, that utterance may be given to me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may speak it boldly as I ought to speak. Power. How do we give power to this armor? It comes from prayer. It comes from constant communion with God. Always remember that he is with you. Call out to him in prayer whenever you sense the enemy's attacks. Pray in the Spirit. Allow the Spirit of God, which is in every believer, to go before the Father with your needs. I love this, what it says in Romans when it speaks about this. Because sometimes we feel weak. Sometimes we don't even know what to pray. Sometimes we sense an attack, but we don't know exactly what it is. We just know there's something wrong. Paul writes in Romans 8.26, Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses. How beautiful. For we do not know what, that, what we should pray as we ought. We do not know. But the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Imagine the Holy Spirit going before the throne of God on your behalf. That's the power that you give to the armor even when you don't know what to pray. Even when you're not sure what's going on but you sense that something's off in your life. You just say, God, I don't know what to pray for but you do. Holy Spirit, go before the Lord on my behalf. I need you. I need you. And I love how Paul closes this chapter with our motivation. Because sometimes we just need a little bit of a push. <laughs> we need a little extra motivation to, to start to apply things to our lives. Our motivation to continue this battle is so that we can speak boldly to others about the gospel he says in 19 and 20, for me that utterance may be given to me. All of this, I'm willing to go to battle for you, Lord. I thank you for the armor that you've given me, for the weapons you've allowed me to have, for the Holy Spirit that goes before you on my behalf. But it's all so that I may tell others about the gospel, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Remember, Paul was in prison. That I may speak it boldly as I ought to speak. We all know about the Revolutionary War, right? Many years ago, hundreds of years ago, the colonists living under the tyranny of the British Empire, they declared their desire for independence and launched the Revolutionary War. And of course, we know 
that the Americans won and we're a free people because of it. But nobody here fired one shot at a British soldier, right? But every day we enjoy the freedoms. Freedoms because of their sacrifice done hundreds of years before we were around. Now let's make a little bit of a comparison here. Like those colonists who sacrificed, Jesus bled and died on the cross for our freedom thousands of years before we were even born. He faced an opponent that we could never have defeated on our own. And through his sacrifice on the cross, he triumphed over the enemy because he was faithful, because Jesus Christ was faithful. We can be free today. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. That's what Jesus has done for each and every person. It's been said that Christians don't fight for victory. They fight from victory. Victory has already been won. At the cross, he defeated death when he rose from the dead. The, the, the Lord accepted that sacrifice so that all power and authority belongs to him. No one has ever, had ever defeated death before. Only Jesus. You heard a lot today about the enemy's tactics. And I know whether you're a Christian or you're not a Christian, you've felt that in your lives. You've felt the attacks. But you don't want to fight them on your own. You want to have all of the power of heaven on your side. Let's pray. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfield. We're located at 15 Half Acre Road in Jamesburg, New Jersey. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays we have children's church for all ages in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless you.